It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each week, we talk some local sports topics, maybe a national sports topic or two. We've got a gambling segment, and we've got my favorite segment of the show where you can ask me a question on anything. I may not give you a good answer to it, but I'll give you the best answer I can. The Ask Skinny Anything. You can find the hashtag on Twitter, hashtag Ask Skinny Anything. Rick, how we doing? Uh, conference tournaments neck deep. we got a lot to get to, obviously. Reds in spring training, Bengals in free agency. These two weeks, I know for college basketball fans, is nirvana because you can sit around and watch. For me, it's kind of a living hell because of free agency, but I still, I still find time to have it on in the background while, while, while I'm working. Well, as you know, the musketeer report grind never truly sleeps, but my uh, workload has seemingly come to a halt, or at least that's the way it looks for the time being as NKU gets knocked out of the horizon league tournament on Monday night. And then Xavier seemingly gets their at large chances dashed by uh, losing to Butler in the first round of the big East tournament on Wednesday. So uh, I'm, I'm looking at an opportunity to hopefully enjoy some basketball coming up. There you go. It's it's, it's, as we're doing this, uh, we are a couple hours away from a bunch of games tipping off and I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, let's jump right into some college basketball talk and wrap up the seasons for some of the local teams. Xavier dropped its third straight game Wednesday night in the opening round of the Big East tournament, 70 to 69 in overtime to Butler. The Musketeers led by as many as 19 points in the first half and 14 at halftime before only scoring 19 points in the second half of action to let the Bulldogs force OT. Actually, was almost certainly out of the mix for an at-large bid as things stand right now. Skinny, where are you at on Travis Steele after his team presumably failed to make the NCAA tournament again in year three? Yeah, if this was a, a, a normal world and coming off of a normal year with fans and, and no pandemic and where you can not have to worry about buyouts, I, I got to be honest with you, Rick, I, I I think it would be time to move on. I think I think the biggest question is this. I, it's going to come down to finances, right? And you and I have talked about this off the air, and I think we've talked about it even on the podcast, and the finances probably don't work to make to, to, to make that move. But I always go back to this question is, is not making the move, just kicking the can down the road another year, or do you really think this is the guy that can turn your program back in the right direction? It's kind of like the, the whole Zach Taylor thing, right? Of, listen, if, you, if, if, if it's not worked out to this point, what, what makes anybody think another year is going to make that work better? Um, and, and obviously, again, the finances are so much different in both circumstances. Um, you know, college is it's just a bad look to pay buyouts right now, even though some have done it. Um, but the numbers don't lie, Rick. I mean, he's sub 500 in the Big East. Um, I, what? Get, give me outside of a UC win because it's a rival game. Give me a signature win for him in three years as a coach. I mean, Oklahoma this year? Yeah, Oklahoma was a, a good win. Um, and they're a, they're a six or seven seed in the NCAA tournament. It's not like they were a juggernaut. No, I mean, they, it looked better at the time, obviously. Yes, they, it did. They and I agree down with that. The stretch. Yes. Um, at Seton Hall last year when okay. they were ranked, I think maybe top 10 or 15 in the country was a really good win uh, after they had lost a couple straight and, and I think like five of their last six. I, that was a big win for him, but it was coming off of struggles, obviously, which is part of what made it a big win. Um, and he beat, he did beat Villanova his first year. That was at the Centaur yeah, okay. Center, but I was There's not I was, many. Considering Chris Mack's struggles with Villanova, I think a lot of people looked that as a a huge win. Now, here's the frustrating part. I think if you're here's the frustrating part if you're a fan though is this: it's not like you've got something to fall back on that hey, Travis Steele did this as a head coach at this stop. Um, 
maybe does he need a veteran assistant on the bench? There's something has to change because this is three straight years of three straight kind of meltdowns, if you will, at the end. Yeah, well, it, it is uh, director of operations Matthew Graves. It is you know uh, he was an assistant with Brad Stevens. He's run his own program. He's, you know, he's a veteran guy. I don't know if you, you need to find another veteran guy maybe, but I, I do think they sort of have that presence. A guy who's been a head coach, uh, a guy who has coached with really smart coaches and, and been around the game for a while. So it's not like they're entirely lacking that role on the bench right now, uh, but maybe you could argue that they need somebody else. My, here's my thing. It's really different from the tr- Zach Taylor situation for this reason. In the NFL, the people who are in charge of hiring or firing are also in charge of deciding what players are there. So if they say you have good enough players, we gave you enough resources and players, you've had enough chance to prove yourself, then they should say it's time to go. Like this guy isn't going to cut it in college athletics. It's different because the coach is responsible for recruiting. You right. have to give him time to, to do that to, to a certain extent. And Three to this point, a long time, man. Um, it is, but like we, we talked about, like I, I told you this at the end of last year and at the beginning of this year, that there was a very good chance that Xavier would not make the tournament again this year. But if you looked at the young guys that they had through Travis Steele's recruiting, like when you have a coaching change at, at the division one level, really regardless of how high, uh, uh, level of school is whether high major mid major whatever i mean unless they're like the absolute absolute blue bloods where occasionally you get like a recruiting bump because you brought in a new coach with uh, a big resume and and everyone's excited about that sometimes you do a little better in your recruiting but a lot of times that's a totally lost year when you change coaches and then that first year with the new coach especially if it's a guy who has no history like travis Steele. yes he's a good recruiter but he wasn't a head coach before a lot of times that first year can be a lost year now for this Xavier staff, it wasn't really. I mean, you got Zach Freeman, obviously, um, and who knows what's going to happen with Kiki Tandy's future. But you look at this next class. I mean, you're last night. You got a lot of production out of your three freshmen. Like those guys looked pretty darn good. So I think it would be too early to pull the plug because skinny. If you do that, guess what happens? Those guys transfer elsewhere. You have another lost year of recruiting. But I go back to the to, to the main question, though, is do you believe he is the guy that can get the job done? Because he hasn't proven it in three years. Right. He, he has not proven it. But I don't think we know the answer to that. I think it's an incomplete still. He's, he's done nothing to prove that he is that guy. But I think you have to give college coaches four or five years for the most part, unless there is a total disaster. The roster has completely falling apart around him there's dysfunction in the locker room or there's you know bad things going or on on or off the court with the the players that you have that that to me is the reason you fire a guy this quickly and, and Travis Steele isn't at that point I mean his teams are competitive uh, you know at one point they were looking like they were going to be in very good shape for the NCAA tournament and then they had multiple long COVID pauses I mean I, I know people don't want to hear excuses but that is a reality well, there, of this no, season. I, I, that I'm does make it some, a, a unique season. I'm with you in some regard, but here's all you needed to do over the last three games. Beat three sub five, beat at least one of three sub 500 teams and you couldn't do it. Absolutely. And go back to last year. They were in the same situation with DePaul, right? Yeah. Yes. I mean, yes. you just you just needed to beat Providence, Butler, or DePaul down the stretch to get so in. Is, so is that a guy then that just can't get it done when it matters? 
I mean, that's that's a question that it's fair to ask. He has to prove that he can. And again, like I, I think there are legitimate not excuses, but realities that he dealt with his first two seasons and a legitimate reality that he dealt with this year with the COVID pauses and the fact that some of his guys are still younger and you're seeing some of that maturity show up. But at the same time, I think the biggest criticism and a fair one right now is you call it identity and you've brought that up multiple times. I think that's a fair thing to ask that Okay, you say you want to play faster, uh, more offensive style with open game plan and, and guys passing and cutting and ball movement. But then when things get tough or your back's against the wall and you're in must-win games, you revert back to a defense-first lineup. And you go with a lineup that has zero spacing on the offensive end. And that is I mean, J- Jason Carter was to, a killer. Yeah, to not give you the best chance. I mean, you played right into what Butler wanted you to do, which is to play through Jason Carter and Zach Freeman all on the perimeter in the second half. They tightened up their defense because your guards were getting to the lane at will in the first half. And, at will! And, you, and then they tightened up their defense and said, you know, beat us with one of your two bigs, Jason Carter or Zach Freeman all on the perimeter. Freeman will made a few shots, but obviously Carter took way too many and, and couldn't give them anything. So, yeah, I mean, you played right into their game plan by by playing that lineup and, and that style. So I don't know what the right answer is. I I would just say that this one clearly hasn't worked multiple years in a row. So yeah, no, I would I'm, be surprised I'm, that you would go down swinging that way again. Right, dying on the hill of Jason Carter <laughs> taking a bunch of shots. That's a Well, and just uh, uh, going down with no spacing. You know, I mean, like you, you are not, you have not built this team in a way that you are just going to physically abuse people with, with toughness and defense. You were closer to that the last two years. You're certainly not that type of team this year. And yet that seems to be the answer when things get tough. I mean, after the game, Travis Steele is saying that they, they just needed to get another stop or two and they couldn't do it. You only scored 19 points in the second right. half. Yeah, it not matter of stops, bro. 20, it was a matter of getting a bucket or two. You needed 20 points to win. Yes. To me, that's not a – like, the defense was not good. And and I get his point that there were some situations where but you they failed within their points. system. But, yeah, you scored 19 points, and you just needed 20 to win the game. So, to me, that's why you lost the game. And, and that is uh, – you go down with Kiki Tandy not playing a single minute, which clearly they're, they're – obviously has to be more to that situation no than what we've been told. No, no question. Um, CJ Wilcher, granted, he played more extended minutes. He ended up playing 20 minutes for the game. So I think it was about 13 minutes in the first half. And then he played seven minutes in the middle of the second half. And I get it. Like when you're playing him in there and, and Butler has both their bigs, Golden and Enzi, it was really difficult to match up on the defensive end because it forces Wilcher to guard a post player that he's physically not equipped to guard. But it also means they have to guard you on the offensive end. Yes. And you stretch out their defense. And so, I, I, you know, again, I don't I get why you would make the choice Steele and his staff did. At the same time, you've seen that choice go down in flames multiple times over the last few years. And it's a little surprising that you wouldn't just try something else, even if even if there's a chance you lose that way, too. Because, look, I, I, I agree. There was no guarantee that they were going to win the game just because he played a small lineup there. Um, while I'm making a case that it is probably time to move on, I am fully aware that, that that's probably not going to take place for the reasons we talked about before we started this conversation. So let me advance it just a hair. Um, so, so probably fully knowing that there isn't going to be a change made. Does that then make it absolutely must in his fourth year that they go to the NCAA tournament or that's enough? I, it, it certainly feels that way. Right. I mean, Xavier's not going to go to the NCAA tournament for four straight years. Right. 
hard to imagine even your most patient and level-headed of donors being okay with that. And at cer- at a certain point, even if you're, you're the AD and, and you feel really confident in your decision that Travis Steele could be that guy, which after four years of missing the tournament, I don't know that you would be that confident. But even if you feel that way, at some point, the donors are going to get impatient. And I think that is probably the line, uh, as you would say. And uh, I don't know if you heard our broadcast at all this weekend, but Jim Kelch dropped a Richard Skinner line of demarcation multiple times during our <laughs> broadcast. But yeah, I think that might be the line of demarcation. You go a fourth straight year and and look, you got your guys now. You got a, a sophomore class that's going to be juniors or at least a guy in, in Zach Fremantle who was most improved this year. He was all Big East freshman team this first year. He's going to be an upperclassman now. You've had a chance to develop him and work with him. He needs to be a guy you can rely on next year and and, and be a go-to type player. And then you've got a, a an upcoming sophomore class that you can surround him with that looks to be pretty good. Yeah, you may need a transfer to 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 help support those guys. In fact, I think you definitely do. I would I would be uh, worried if I was a Xavier fan and this team didn't add some more shooting in the offseason. But I think you got a chance to make a run next year and make the tournament again. You should have enough talent, but if you don't get it, then I think it's fair to say when is it going to happen and start getting impatient. And let's say, I mean, you, and you took a calculated risk at Greg Christopher in, in elevating a guy without head coaching experience. And it's been a great way that, that Xavier's done this and it's worked out well, almost every single solitary time you've done it. But you know, maybe at some point this just was, it was the right move to make then but the right move then eventually is to move forward with, with somebody else. Again, if you don't get it done in four years, I can't imagine you should get a fifth. And I, I just, I, I just can't imagine that. Yeah. I mean, because trust me, there are a lot of people right now that are listening to this. And then after last night and, and you and I know, know people as well as Xavier fans, they, they want it done today. Right. Oh, no. And let, let alone giving him a fifth year if they doesn't make it for a fourth year. Yeah. I mean, it went from, you know, maybe a loud minority that we, we talked too much about on my message board being mad about it the last few weeks to I feel like uh, the majority does kind of feel that way now at this point that he he is uh he is at least out falling out of favor with with them as fans and, and like, I think Rick it goes back to the whole you don't have something to fall back on of of him as a head coach right or wrong and listen there are some guys that are it's just they're just not good at it and some guys are great some guys are great at his assistants and and hey I'm not here to tell you he doesn't didn't deserve a chance doesn't deserve a chance and I'm not here to tell you he maybe doesn't deserve a fourth year but you don't have anything to fall back on for success of him as a head coach I mean I would just like p- point to to Archie Miller for you you know I mean he's 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 on year four right now of right. not making the uh, NCAA tournament so I, I don't think Xavier is going to get more impatient than the Hoosiers uh, but yeah, after next year, you don't make it again. There are definitely going to be serious questions asked and not just in an angry fan manner. I mean, it's going to be the big people donors, that the, people, yeah, that the people that matter at Cintas. They're going to be talking about it. So, uh, yeah, the, the, you're on the right frame of mind. I don't think it's ridiculous to be having these conversations. But at the same time, I think it would be a really bad move for Xavier to be this impatient with the coach. Also, it, you devalue your job when you become that type of place sure. that is cutting bait, bait with coaches so quick, you know, like right now Xavier is a good job, but in terms of what they're paying, they're not top half of the big East. They're not top of the half of the big East in spending. So you, you have to realize that you're, you're competing against the big time players now. 
And you're not the most attractive job out of all of those. So for Xavier to stay attractive, they have to prove that they're going to support their coach, that it is a good job to have if you are a coach, a good chance to build your career, and, and they're going to give you a, enough rope to do that and prove you can succeed and get your own guys in there and then move on and, and advance your career. I, I That's like you don't want this to become a place where you're just turning your your program over constantly and you're like Tennessee football all of a sudden. Yeah, no, that's, that's a fair point. So, all right, let's move from uh, Xavier to the other team. I cover NKU on Monday night, the Norse lost in the semifinals of the horizon league tournament to Oakland 69 58, marking the end of the season for the Norse. They shot just 33.3% from the field and 23.3% from three point range with most of their makes coming in the final minutes when they were in desperation mode. The only player set to leave the team via graduation is wing Adam Alita. And Darren Horn told Jim Kelch and I during a recent coaches show that his staff will be active this spring and looking to add to their roster. What do you think the Norse need to prioritize the most this offseason, Skinny? I think they got that. That's a good question. I, I, I always you always come back to shooters because you're not getting elite bigs at that level, right? Um, I don't even know if they do. I just think it's just one more year of guys getting older and better and maybe adding, I don't know, maybe adding a veteran presence who can, can take over when you need it. But I think you got Marquez work can take over when you need it. You got plenty of guys that can take over. I, I just, I think they're in a really good situation. So whatever it is, it's just adding just an extra piece. Yeah. There's two things that I specifically think they should look hard at. And one is, I think they need help in the post. Even Adrian Nelson is expected to be guys. back. No, but first of all, in their system, they're supposed to have a big man that protects the rim a little bit. And they don't have any of that right now. I mean, Adrian Nelson is only six foot seven. He's very strong. He can can, can, Noah, can Noah Hoopman put on some weight and do that? That's possible. And I, and I think they're high on Noah Hoopman. I think he can give them some minutes. But even going into next year, I, I think it's probably only right to plan on him giving you 10 to 15 minutes at best. If he can Hell, give you 10 you, or 15 if, good minutes, that'd be great. If you've watched Sam Vincent at Highlands, he's only 6'5", but I think that guy can protect the rim. <laughs> <laughs> he's got some athleticism. But I, I'll I, tell you who can protect the rim. You know who can protect the rim? Goddamn mouse. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> I Well, you, however they find it, I think it is worth finding another post presence of some sort that has some experience, maybe some bulk, maybe some rim protecting ability. Um, the other thing that I would definitely look for is shooting. If you could add one more shooter, because even with Marquez work, who shot really well, and the one guy you're losing, Adam Alita, was one of your better shooters this year, you were a really poor shooting team from the outside. I mean, Trayvon Faulkner is a great player. He's your leading scorer, but he shot under 30% on the year from three-point range, and that really has been his status quo throughout his career. Um, you know, Bryson Langdon is not a knockdown shooter by any means. You could do well by finding one more shooter at least to go on that wing, even if he's a bench piece. You know, I think they were hoping Darius Harding, the Juco recruit this past offseason, would give them that this year, and it just never materialized. So I think they will be back in the market for a a shooter as well. Yeah, and I don't think Sam Vincent's that guy. I think Sam can shoot it. I don't think he's a knockdown shooter. He's just a really good athlete. I think he's going to be a nice piece. Yeah, he's extraordinarily athletic, but he has not shot a lot of threes, period. This right, year he's a down, he's a, he's a, yeah, they surround him with three-point shooters and he comes downhill and he's either, 
you're, you're, you're either having to gap off of really good outside. I mean, they got really good. They got a couple of kids shooting around 50% on threes. Um, or you, you try to guard him one-on-one and you know, nobody can do that. And, and I don't even know if there's anybody in the state that can do that. Yeah. They have one other recruit coming in next year. Like in terms of high school guys, it's Isaiah Mason from Bowling Green, who's another athletic forward. So we'll see what he can give them as well, but I don't think he's ready to be a presence at the five necessarily yet. One other thing for, for the NKU front. I mean, it, it, about eight 30 on Monday, maybe eight 20 all seemed right with the world. Cause it looked like Milwaukee was going to spring the upset of Cleveland state. NKU had not tipped off. Where were you at about that time as you're watching Milwaukee beating, beating Cleveland state and thinking about, Oh boy, this is going to set up almost perfectly for NKU. It's funny how your expectations change, right? Before this tournament started, it's like, Oh, if NKU even made it to the semifinals and back to Indy, it'd be house money and a, a job well done and icing on the cake. And then you get there, you look around, you realize no right state. And you're thinking NKU's playing as well as anybody in this tournament going into this thing. And then you see what Milwaukee's about to do to Cleveland state. And like you said, it becomes, oh, why not just go win this thing? Your expectation kind of becomes, I think the North should win this thing. Uh, it didn't work out that way. And it's not exactly surprising. You know, it, it seemed like a team that shot poorly all year, got some good looks early against a funky zone defense. Those looks didn't go down from three-point range or around the basket, and they just got tight. That's pretty much what happened. It wasn't wasn't a total surprise to see it with, with that group and the way they played, but but yeah, I mean, it's a good point. It, two hours before <laughs> then, it was like, man, this thing is setting up really good for NKU fans. All right, from college basketball to the NFL, the deadline for NFL teams to place the franchise tag on one of their free agents came and went at 4 p.m. on Tuesday with the Bengals opting not to utilize it. There was some belief that the team might use it on defensive end Carl Lawson or maybe even defensive back William Jackson. The Bengals also announced on Wednesday that they've re-signed backup quarterback Brandon Allen to a one-year contract. Uh, Skinny, what did you think of those Bengals offseason decisions? And do you think it was a mistake not to use the franchise tag on one of those two guys? Yeah, and for the record, there's going to be a handful more between now and, and when they uh, when they when free agency opens next Wednesday, the seventeenth. Uh, uh, there will be some more moves for sure. Um, I'll touch on the Brandon Allen real quick. I, it's an easy one. It's a one year contract. It's probably about what he made last year. Um, uh, it, it, again, they, they don't trust Ryan Finley as a backup and understandably. So, um, and Brandon at least proved he was a capable backup and, and this is not a playoff team. So it's not like you need to get some high level, you know, backup that, Hey, if you lose your main guy, you need to have a guy go win games for you. Um, Brandon's at least capable of performing and maybe winning a game or two along the way. And as we all know, if Joe Burrow's healthy and the hope is for 16 games, he's taking every snap from center. So who the hell cares who your backup is, if that's the case. So yeah, I thought it was the right move. It was an easy move. He knows the system. Um, again, we saw him perform well at times and it didn't break the bank and they don't need to break the bank, but it also, again, shows you the level. They don't trust Ryan Finley as a backup. I think we're all pretty clear on, on that part of it. As for the franchise tag, I I'm good with it. I, I look, I know there were some reports that the, and erroneous reports that the Bengals were going to use the tag on Carl Lawson. And I never believed them. I, I didn't, I, it didn't make any sense to me. Um, 17 mil for that. I just, it's, I, he's not going to get that on the open market. And honestly, I think he wants to be in Cincinnati. I think they still want him in Cincinnati. I think they can get him back um, at a fair market price for both him and for them, as opposed to the one year, $17 million cap it. Cause he's not getting that on the open market. He's not going to get a $17 million deal on the open market. So, and, and the other part of that is, you know, Usually with a lot of these deals and everybody sees the, the, the main money, right? They see what Dak Prescott signed for. Well, 
a lot of times, I mean, like Dak Prescott, I think his cap hit for year one is only $22 million as opposed to what would going to be a, you know, $34 million cap hit if they'd franchise tagged him. So a, a lot of these times that one year franchise tag hit is a big one. And in this case, 17 mil for that. No, no, thank you. Um, especially now when you know where the cap was and they didn't at the time because the cap was not officially set. Although the rumblings on Tuesday were, it was going to settle it about what it did with $182 million. You got, you got half the league in cap cap hell at the moment. So there isn't going to be a lot of activity for some of these guys on the free agent market. And the Bengals are well positioned now to go re-sign maybe both of those guys to make the moves we talked about from an offensive line perspective. They have a great opportunity to free up more cap space with something with Geno Atkins, letting him walk um, or getting rid of him rather with, with probably an injury settlement, probably doing something with Bobby Hart frees up another six or seven mil. I've talked about for me, I'd get rid of Gio Bernard and his $4 million cap hit with, Travion Williams is a capable backup and you can always find a backup running back in this league. So I think they're well positioned. And I think for them, it was just not going to put the 17 mil cap hit when we think we can resign him for, for better. And I think he wants to be here. He's made it actually clear that he wants to be here. So I still think you can come up with a deal. So I, I'm fine with it. I know, I think Jason Lock and four is losing his mind. I think he's lost his mind. Cause I think he got burned on this one. Cause he's the one that said he thought for sure the Bengals were going to franchise tag Carl Lawson sources say that they're going to franchise tag Carl Losses. Jason Lock and four and his sources can go take a flying leap. And now he's mad about it because I saw a, a thing today that the Bengals missed on France. No, they didn't. They didn't. And it, look, and honestly, if he does sign elsewhere, okay, you lose five and a half sacks. And I know you can do the other metrics for pressures. And yes, I fully cognizant of that. And yes, he's more valuable than the five and a half sacks. But that's all my man got was five and a half sacks. I ain't paying 17 mil for that. I'm not. Cap space is is so fluid, it's always difficult to figure out exactly where everybody stands. But by anybody's estimations, the Bengals are top five in the league in cap space to yes. work with this offseason. So to your point, they they have a lot of a lot of space to work with, and there's reason to believe that a lot of other teams are not going to be giving these players some of the free agent deals that they might be looking for. Because there also seems to be a, a, a great free agent pool at a lot of different positions this year. So and there's going to be other guys that are going to get cut from teams because they're going to have to get under the cap. We saw that with the Saints; they cut two starters yes. yesterday. Uh, as we're recording this on Thursday. So uh, the Carl Lawson thing to me is a tricky one because while the Bengals do need help at the end position, they need pass rushers. Carl Lawson to me is a B guy. He he can't yes. be your best pass rusher. He needs to be your second best. That's and, where he'll and, thrive. And are you if paying 17 mil for that for one year? Well, that's my point. If you have to pay top dollar for a guy like that, I don't think that really fits into the Bengals plans of what they need to be doing this off season. Uh, I, I don't dislike Carl Lawson. But I don't either. I like I, him. I, I don't think you can pay top end money for him. If you don't have another guy already in place and you're really all in on keeping that great pass rush intact and by the way the Bengals pass rush stunk last year it was horrible and, and some of it unfortunately was Carl Lawson providing pressure and nobody else finishing but and he also fine. didn't but he also didn't finish yeah he's not getting home and I mean the the, the great ones get home even if there's a lot of uh, attention being paid to him it the the one I'm more interested in is William Jackson because I did read a piece where uh, on Sports Illustrated where somebody was comparing him to the Jonathan Joseph situation and I don't know that I hold William Jackson in the same regard that I hold Jonathan Joseph at the time that the Bengals were making the decision on him of whether to, to keep him or not. I would agree. But, but it, it's, it's fair to say that they were both kind of up and down 
through those first few years of their career. Uh, right after Jonathan Joseph left, he played the, the best few seasons of his career, and the Bengals just continuously spent and spent and spent both draft capital and money trying to find guys to, to hold down that position. I do wonder if there's a way that they can find and I don't think it was the franchise tag, but if there's a way that they can find to re-sign William Jackson at a, at a, a decent deal, even you have to overspend a little bit, I think that might be more worth it to me than keeping Carl Lawson. Yeah. And I think, I, I don't think they're independent of each other though. And that's the thing about why you don't tag is it's just, it's a one-time hit to the cap as opposed to, and I'm just going to throw a ballpark figure out for William Jackson. I could be completely erroneous. Let's say you, you sign him for three years and 40 mil. You, you may only have a cap hit of eight mil this first year, you know, based on the way you structure the bonus and the guaranteed money. And it probably is going to be a little bit more than that. But my point is, and, and if, go look at DJ Reader's contract. It, it sounds atrocious of four years. And what was it? 53 mil. That sounds just out. But if you look, um, his base salaries the last two years go up astronomically. To where at that point, you've already kind of prorated the, the, the signing bonus out. You can get rid of him at that point because those the, the base salary doesn't count. And so what looks like, that's where everybody lost their mind with Bobby Hart. And, and I wrote a piece the, the day they signed Bobby Hart and said, listen, I know you don't like him, but they need a starting at right tackle. He's going to be the guy. And if you look by year three of his contract, they can get out from under it for a very minuscule cap hit and, and, and be fine with it. And that's where we're at. I think that's what's going to happen. So a lot of times when you just see those initial dollars, people lose their mind. That's... To me, like William Jackson and or Carl Lawson, if you can get those guys and spread the money out, you can get both and do some other things too. And that's why I think they just chose not to use the franchise tag. I, I get it. Spotrack has an estimated market value on William Jackson at three years, 18.9 million. So about 6.3 million per year. I, I, you know, that no, no guarantee that's going to be accurate, but interesting no, but to look at because I think right. the Bengals would need to consider that for certain. No question. And even a little more, I even pay a little more than that, to be honest with you. Yeah, I would too. But 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 again, the, the, if if you were going to put the tag on him, you're talking about a one-off deal for much probably double what the cap hit would be this year. And that's just that, that, that's foolish. And so I'm listen. I'm you know me and anybody that listens to this knows I am not a fan of the way the Bengals do do business as far as as talent evaluation and and the way they run their front office. But I, I, they, they've, they've managed their cap pretty darn well. They spend on their own. They're not cheap. People assume they're cheap. And I guarantee people, oh, cheap Bengals wouldn't tag. Car-. No, this was a prudent move. There's a big difference. And again, there's nothing that says they're not still trying to re-sign him and that they won't re-sign him. I do want to talk to you about one more Bengals topic, and we will come back to this later during Ask Skinny Anything in terms of the free agency stuff because we we have an interesting Ask Skinny Anything question relating to that. But uh, one more Bengals topic here, and this one a little off the beaten path. Former quarterback John Kitna alleged on the Ryan Rosillo podcast Tuesday that a Cincinnati teammate was drunk during a game. Quote, I'm not sure if the staff knew, but I think the guy was like, that was kind of his normal. I mean, he was drunk and had close to 200 yards receiving now. So it was crazy. Uh, Skinny, which Bengals receiver, and I don't necessarily mean wide receiver because I don't think he specified what position he was. He just said he had 200 yards receiving. So in theory, it could be a tight end, I guess. Uh, circa 2001 to 2005 during John yeah. Kitna's career, do we think he was talking about? Yeah, I don't think there was a tight end back then that was capable of that kind of a game. No, you don't uh, yeah. think uh, – uh, Reggie Matt, Kelly, <laughs> Matt Schleybach. What was uh Matt? 
Oh, no, no, no. Oh, my goodness gracious. There was um, th- there was also the, the Brewer kid who was awful, too, back then. You know, I meant to look this up, Rick, because um, I, I, I laughed at it. I like the fact that he didn't. I don't think there was anybody in that era that had 200 yards receiving. They paint. didn't. I, I tried not receivers, at least. I tried to look it up. The closest no. was Chad Johnson at like 187 yeah. and, or something. And I don't I and I don't think it was him, to be honest with you. No, um, I, I believe he does not drink. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. That's what I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I don't think it was him. I mean, some people surmise Kelly Washington. Um, but he Peter, never had a big game, really. Peter Warwick. Well, Peter Warwick had a big game as far as total yards once. Peter, Peter Warwick, not Kelly Washington, though. Yeah, I know, but I'm saying, but not, not, I'm not even talking 200 yards receiving. He may said receiving, but it could have been 200 yards, like as a punt returner, because Peter returned punts. Um, yeah. you know, and he again, was probably just exaggerating a little bit, yes, one, to make that's, the story that, better, yes, but also to maybe, exactly, um, exactly. make it tougher to figure out who he's talking about. It, yeah, exactly. Uh, the, I think Peter Warwick is a decent possibility. Uh, what do you think about TJ Hishmanzadi? I could see him being kind of, uh, yeah, but I, I of that's kind of before, yeah, that's kind of before he blew up to, I mean, he did have good, yeah, I, I just don't, I don't see that. I, maybe I'm wrong. But it, it, the thing is, it, it's left everybody, you know, trying to guess who or who who the guy is, right? What if he was talking about the one year of uh, Michael Westbrook? Somebody else brought that one up too, and maybe, yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah, that's. I don't a know that he ever had a big game. Yeah, I mean, I, Matt Schobel was the guy I was. Matt Schobel, thank of, you. Yes, way. yes, uh, and trust me, he it was not him. Was it I mean, Kevin Walter? No, it was not Kevin. Walter. Kevin Walter had a lot of big games. I, I mean, I will say, I'm I'm going to look at game logs here, Kitten. Kitna was the main starter from 01 to what, 04, 03, and then Carson took over in 04. That's right. All right. Let me look at Peter Work's game logs from 2000. 2003, he had 819 yards receiving. He had almost 200 yards rushing. Um, Here's a pretty good game for Peter Work. I'm going to give it to you right here, right now. That was the win over Kansas City. Marvin Lewis's first year. Peter Work, six catches for 114, one rush for 11 yards. Four punt returns for 87 yards. Do the math. That's 98. That's 212 yards. Uh-oh. Now, not receiving, mind you, but he did have 114 receiving. This is all allegedly. Of course. We, we are the, not yes, allegedly. anything. That's correct. Allegedly. Yeah. And hey, if he played drunk and came up with that kind of a game, kudos, bro. Yeah, that's actually kind of more heroic. Yes. And that was kind of the signature Marvin win, right? The, the, that that went over Kansas City, I think, because when Kansas City undefeated at that point that yeah. year. Do we know if he was definitely talking about Marvin era? Because like I, that's the no, one but but that, but that, but 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 that about this is yeah. Is, was this during the Marvin era, or was he talking about Dick LeBeau had this train so <laughs> off the rails before Marvin took over and kind of got things back on track? Yeah, because if be. this was something that happened during the Marvin era. I think to a lot of people, the way they view Marvin and the way he was respected in the locker room, they would view that as a bit of a surprise. Mm, probably right, but it certainly left a lot of a lot, a lot open to interpretation. Correct? Yeah, but it's a great and, story, and, and that's why that's why I go back to if the guy did do that, kudos to you, man. Catch the ball in the middle. That's what I always say. And, and we've we've uh, heard this from other players before that they're all you know guys are are smoking blunts before every game and uh, some of them are drinking before game. Like this is not the first time we've heard elite athletes get intoxicated and think they're able to play better because of it. Even though that's yeah, obviously totally false. I would think a little buzz is different from drunk, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Weed, weed, and and alcohol are definitely different impacts on you in terms of playing sports but i think there are definitely guys who have admitted to drinking too that had issues obviously 
Yeah, like I, like I used to say to, to guys in softball, if they're about five tubs deep playing the fifth game of the day, just hit the ball in the middle. The one in the middle is the one you want to hit. Speaking of elite athletes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap it up with some Reds baseball talk before we get to our betting segment. The Reds are two and seven so far in the Cactus League this spring. It's still early, obviously, and nobody Sean cares. Doolittle. Sean Doolittle. Sean Doolittle. No one really cares about any spring stats, but Nick Senzel did generate a little buzz the other night when he hit his second homer of the spring, which is tied for the team lead. Skinny, Senzel's homers got me wondering, what should the Reds do with their four outfielders? And is it possible they should just say, screw the defense and look to move Senzel to the infield, be it at shortstop or even third base if you want to move Suarez to short for a year to get him a full season at bats to see what they have with him? Yeah, it, it, it's awful weird that they drafted Nick Senzel and then really never had a position for him, right? They kind of forced him into well, the outfield. They kept be- intentionally replacing him. I mean, the, the right. Suarez thing, you you couldn't predict that he was going to explode at third base and become the guy of the future before Senzel ever made it. Yeah, I don't know. I thought he was. I, I, truly, I truly did. I thought but, he had a chance. I, well, I, okay. t- what he's done does not surprise me. I'm not going to lie. But you already had Senzel. So it was fair to be like, oh, you know, we, we thought he was going to play third base. Now that's not the case. And you move him elsewhere at that point. Okay. But, but this past off season, you went and signed Mike Moustakas when you could have put Senzel at second base. You went and you signed Shogo Akiyama when you thought he was going to be your center fielder. So right. they continue to replace. It's not only that they don't have a spot for him. They intentionally recruit over him, so to speak, every off season, it seems. So uh, at, at what point are you going to figure out if you have something with Nick Senzel or not? And, and granted, his Some of it's on him. a big factor in this too. Yes, like right. The fact that he can't stay healthy is yeah. a huge part of that. Well, I mean, the same thing with Jonathan Indy. I don't know if Jonathan Indy is going to be any good or not, but, you know, he's kind of in that second base, shortstop, third base realm. Where does he fit now in the mix? Well, and in, in, in a season like this. So it makes this, you wonder, you I mean, have... what, so what, 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 are you, what are you doing well, and when you have no answer, obviously, like that, that's the talk of the offseason is you have no good options at shortstop. Defensively, you're probably not going to be that good anyway. Why not just throw Senzel there? I mean, I'm the, with the you. game is well, all about or, the shift with or strikeouts. Or, or, or Suarez there. I mean, Suarez has, played, Suarez has played shortstop. He has trimmed himself down. Is he going to be Ozzie Smith? Of course not. But I, I'm kind of at this stage of just saying, you know what? Put as much offense out there as you can. In this era of all the strikeouts, you're, again, you're not asking for your defense to come up with 24 outs in a game anymore. You're asking them to come up with 12 to 15, and 80% of those are probably routine plays. Because they're um, shifted. Yes, because they're shifted. That's the other part, too. And that's, the, that's, a, that's a major part to it. You're putting those guys in a better position defensively to begin with to where is range a factor? Sure, but not as much as it used to be because you've – the analytics have dictated where you're already putting them to. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm in that boat. Now, the problem is, though, you better do it today and, and not waste any more time in the spring if you're going to do it. I don't think they're going to do it. They don't seem like they have any inclination to do it, but it seems to make all the sense in the world. I just don't understand how you can roll out a lineup with Tucker Barnhart's bat and whoever you're going to put at shortstop with the options you have's bat with you. in the same lineup every day when you have the four outfielders that you have that are in theory four of your potential best bats yeah I, i'm with you I, I don't i don't get it either i honestly don't and hey listen if if this becomes an issue the first month six weeks of the year the reds are losing games i'm pointing the finger right at david bell and go why didn't you do something about this you had a whole spring to try to do something about this and you didn't well and everyone will be pointing at the the front office as they okay. should for not getting a shortstop in the offseason, right. which but, is the real then, issue here but but then like it becomes you said, your issue as the manager you right. then have to make the pieces work right or wrong 
It's true. And don't if try I- to sell me on Kyle Farmer and D Gordon, strange, strange Gordon, whatever the hell his name is anymore. Bla- Alex Blandino, Dean Blandino, any of those Bladan- Blandino. No, I enough. Think- I think D strange Gordon is going to be our starting shortstop for aye, opening day. Aye, aye. That's, that's the sense I'm getting. Like they're, they're going to sell this to us. That he's I think it's going to be, be a guy. platoon. I think it'll be a platoon between D strange Gordon and, and farmer. That's probably right, but it's going to be a disaster. I'm, I'm all for at this point, just throwing Senzel out there. Even if you don't want to screw up Suarez because you need a bounce back for season from him. You want to make I sure he's he feels willing to do confident. It. He said he was willing to do it. Remember? I know. But even if you're worried about that and you just want to make sure he feels confident, I'm fine with it. Just put Senzel at shortstop then and say, defense be damned. Do your best son. And let's get you a full year of at bats. Stay healthy. So we can see if we have anything with you because every year it's like man. you get a little taste of Senzel. He has a few good games. Most of the time, his stats aren't anything good because he's he's playing so intermittently. It's like let's just see what he is. Yes, I I, I think you're at that stage of let's just see what he is. All right, let's get to some betting talk. It's going to be a short betting segment this week because there's just not a lot of local games with the tournaments going on that we can bet. Kentucky's going to be playing right after we record this, so no point in adding that. Uh, last week I was three and five. You were five and three. I am now 12 and 18 overall. You and you are 14 and 16 overall. The only game I have on the board to bet is the Friday game between Cincinnati and SMU. The Mustangs are a six point favorite. The total is 146. I'm going to ride with the Bearcats. Um, you know, I, I know when they beat them back, whatever that was in January, that was kind of before that big COVID stop. I think they had one more game after before the COVID stop. And that was the game at Wichita that they lost, but they did win in Fort Worth. Um, different team, all that stuff. Um, but again, down the stretch, other than the Houston game and probably a chunk of the Vandy game, which was a late pickup, this team was competitive. And I think on on in, in this, I, th- I think they'll compete enough to where a win would not surprise me. And if a win's not going to surprise me and you're going to give me six, give me the six. So what's what's your score here? Oh, I'll go. Um, I'll go SMU 60. I'll go SMU 67, UC 64. Bearcats fall just short, but 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 the points are going to come into play. All right. So you and again, see, a win wouldn't surprise me. You see in the under here. Um, I'm on the same play. I'm a little higher scoring than you. I've got SMU 74, UC 69. So UC and the under there as well. And I'll be honest with you, Rick. I mean, as goofy as it sounds, them being in the files of this tournament wouldn't shock me. I mean, you know, they're on the same side with Wichita. <laughs> Um, I don't think they can beat either Memphis or Houston, which is on the other side of the bracket. The tougher in fact, I think Memphis wins the tournament, to be honest with you. Um, I don't think they can do that, but I, I can see them beating an SMU and beating a Wichita and looking up and being in the final. I well, really can. It's funny you say that because I was just going to ask you, you, you know, since we didn't have any other games, if there was any other bets you were looking at or things you liked. And uh, as, as you say that, I am actually going to lock in a little sprinkle on UC to win the American today, it's 25 to one odds. Value, I mean, man. Even if you just want to put five bucks on it, you're going to get $125 back. Uh, I mean, the, the, the way this is broken down, Wichita State has two players not playing in the tournament due to COVID protocol. We don't know who they are, but it's two scholarship players. And they have two big men that are dealing with some injury stuff. So the, the best team on the top half of the bracket is in shambles right now in terms of their roster situation for the tournament. And like you mentioned, yeah, UC is probably not in a good spot to beat whoever comes out of the bottom, but it's one game in the championship. Who knows what could happen? If you get it 25 to one odds, you got to feel great about that in the final. So yeah, I'm going to sprinkle a little bit on the, the UC 
chance at at winning the American Conference Tournament at 25 to 1 odds. Is there anything else out there that has well, here, caught your eye? Yeah, well, here's what I've done, and I'll just give you my tickets. I'll give you the four tickets I played because I just don't have a bunch of time this week to, to go down every day to, to and, and, you know, the lines are so fluid. So I, I ended up locking in on, on – I did a bunch of conference champion parlays, right? Parlayed, you know, and I'll just read them off to you. So here's one, and if this cost me 25 bucks total. Each of these is about six and actually I did six and some six and some change when 700 bucks and it's not out of the realm. It's probably not going to happen. Parlays are impossible. So I'm just swinging for the fences, but I'm kind of locked in for the week already with this. I got Tennessee to win the SEC. I got Memphis to win the AAC and UConn to win the Big East. That's a three team parlay. Yay or nay? I don't think that's unreasonable. I mean, I, look, when you're betting any of the conference tournaments, you never feel great about it, and there's not a lot of value individually. So if you're going to do something like that on teams like that, you have to do what you did, which is parlay them. So I like it. All right, here's another one. Six and some change to win $957. Illinois to win the Big Ten. West Virginia to win the Big 12. Arkansas to win the SEC. Yeah, I don't like uh, West Virginia to win the Big 12 much. or nah, that's Arkansas, probably a good call. Really, so. I'm just hoping they get hot because they can. They they could. Um, here's a four teamer I've got. This is this is actually six and some change to win six seventy. Baylor to win the Big Twelve. This is kind of chalky, but that's why I went four teams. Michigan to win the Big Ten. Florida State to win the ACC, and Missouri is my long shot out of the SEC. I know you, you don't have to like the Missouri one. I went with a long shot there. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's, a, a, couple long it's a long shot play for some value. I get it. I get what you're doing there. I see. I, and my last one, I think this is the one I like the most. This is my crazy. I call this. No, this is this is, yeah, this, this is the one I like. I got San Diego State to win the Mountain West. Colorado to win the Big 12 or the Pac-12. I just couldn't find value in USC. And I don't trust UCLA, even though I've talked glowingly about them. Oh, I don't trust hold Arizona. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Why wouldn't you trust UCLA? I thought they were kings of the uh, Pac-12 they now, are. taking they, over. They are, but Is I'm going with my Colorados. So I got San Diego State, Colorado, and Memphis as a three-teamer to win. That's not much. Six to win, 450. So there you go. I just decided to lock in for the week at a very small price of $25. Sounds like you're worried about UCLA's coaching to me. All right, let's uh, move on to about some their scoring. Ask skinny anything. Well, I think that goes hand in hand. If you're oh. going to place a $100 wager on the Bengals to win the Super Bowl, should you do it before or after free agency? I just looked it up on the DraftKings app. Uh, if you're going to be playing locally, that's one of the mobile apps that will take bets from you in Indiana. 80 to 1 odds right now for the Bengals to win um, the Super Bowl. Would, you think those are improving would, after free agency? I, I, I do. Um I don't. I don't think I'd place this wager no matter no matter what. But Nor yeah, would if I. I was going to do it. I think I would do it now, knowing that the Bengals are they're going to be a player in free agency. They may not get guys you want. They may not get Joe Tooney who hung the moon somewhere along the way. But I think they're going to improve themselves in in, in free agency this year. Um, and I, I again, I'm not making excuses for this, but let's not forget. I mean, you're almost getting a a, a secondary free agency wave of Trey Wayne's who we didn't see, um, DJ Reader who you didn't see a whole lot of. Um, so those guys getting back is going to to, to help. Uh, but those guys should have already be factored into the price here. I mean, the 
you know, they, uh, they yeah, shouldn't be yeah, added in yeah, when free agency yeah, yeah. hits. So but I'm just talking about, I'm just talking about when you're looking at improving this roster. Right, value. From last year. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get, I get uh, your yeah, point, but this yeah, guy I, wants I, I, to know, I, I, is he going to get better yeah. value right now or after free agency, which is better good, value now. A good question. I agree with you. I think at 80 to one odds, you, you got to go on them right now. They're I think third or fourth worst odds in the, the whole NFL. So you go now because the Bengals have as much, money to work with as anyone and they may not like you said they may not get the guys you want but they're going to do something right we think and that's what yeah yeah Yeah. that's what let me put it this way if it's better for you to place this bet after free agency the Bengals have a major problem on their hands that's a good point which cincinnati team is closest to winning a title college and pro i assume this means national title like the whole enchilada i'll go cyclones in the kelly cup (laughs) And they, even, they don't even play. They don't even play again until October of this year. Um, yeah, I'm going Cyclones in the Kelly Cup. That doesn't I, I count, obviously. They're I can't. Well, why? Why doesn't it? They're some. No, it's not. They're professional. Well, they get paid, but no one cares. Is my point. Well, <laughs> he asked the question. I gave the answer. Um, man, oh boy. Um, Co- who do you think in college? You see football, I guess, but they're not going to get a swing at the well, axe. That's, that's the thing. They're never going to get a chance. So how could they be? I mean, they're, right. the, they're the most successful right now. They're closest to success, but. Um, I, they're, yeah, they're the closest. To, I mean, I, I'll go with them. Honestly, it's fine. I'll go with them just because maybe they do force their way in with a great season. And especially this coming year where they do play Notre Dame and they do play Indiana. So at least you get a couple swings at it there. Um, you run the, you get those two wins and run the table. They got to be in the conversation. I'm, I'm going UC football. Okay. And, uh, on and followed the pro- by the Cyclones, followed by the Cyclones in the Kelly Cup. On the pro side, are you doing Bengals, Reds, or FCC? I'm going to go FCC. We'll, we'll score a goal sometime by May. I feel good big. about that. That'd be big. They, <laughs> they spent some money in free agency or whatever um, they call it in soccer. I'll, I'll go Reds. Not feeling great about saying that, but I'll, I'll go Reds, I guess. I, I, I'm going to go Bengals because Bengals, they have the most yeah, important part of winning a Super they Bowl, do, which is the but quarterback. But I got 30 years of, of lack of success on my side when I'm making this call. I'm with you, but it's but it ain't like the other two are very close either. Nah, uh, good hell, point. For all I know, FC Cincinnati will win it this year. I really know uh, nothing no. about what their team is going to look like this year. But Yeah, no, they're not. Trust me. <laughs> Does Skinny have any opinion on Illinois' argument that they should share the Big Ten title with Michigan? Uh, Illinois was 16 and four overall in Big Ten play. They played all 20 games. Michigan was 14 and three, had a couple canceled due to COVID. Michigan got the nod as the conference champion because of overall winning percentage, which was agreed upon before they started playing games. But Illinois' AD wrote a strongly worded letter saying that Illinois should be champs because they won more games and played everybody through the full 20 game schedule. Do you think they have a point or shut up? A, I say shut up because it is. I mean, every league basically did winning percentage other than the Horizon with their crazy, uh, their, their whatever crazy formula they used to seed teams. Michigan got the one seed. They had the highest winning percentage. It was agreed upon. And let me just say this, and I hate to be this guy because I, I wish conference championships mattered more. No one cares about a conference championship in the regular season in these major leagues. Nobody. They just don't, right? All you care, all any fan base cares about is what did you do in the poet? You're always measured of a uh, sweet 16 team, elite eight team, final four team. Nobody cares about a conference championship. They just don't. I wish they did. I wish they mattered more. They just don't. Couldn't have said it better. I mean, you're dead on there. No one cares about winning the regular season conference championship. They just don't. 
What is Local 12 Skinny's favorite local bar? I'm not a local bar guy, but but the place I probably frequent the most is a place called Bleachers in Crescent Springs. It's where we go after uh, after basketball games as a coaching staff. But uh, I'm a Dickman's guy. I've I've always liked I've like I like Richard's Place. I like barley corns outside and when 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 it's nice. Um, I used to go to Shakey's Pub and Grub a bunch when Shakey owned it, um, but uh, he doesn't own it any longer, so I I haven't been there in a long time. I, I'm not a huge bar guy, but th- those are probably my best. It's it's getting to be. Barleycorn's patio weather. Yep. These last few days, it's felt like that. What's Skinny's go-to pen, pencil when writing in his stenographer notepad? I know computers, recorders changed reporting, but does he have that one utensil he rolls with? Pilot G7 gel pen, old bit crystal pen, old number two reliable pencil, or just a pen from the hotel? I was going to say, I'm glad he get put out because I am a pen from the hotel guy. Dude, oh, I think no. every, I think, I think every pen in my uh, briefcase is is either from a hotel um there's a guy i broadcast some games for that he bought a bunch of those as kind of tchotchkes when people come into his office is you know just take a pen so you know his company i've got a handful of his pens but yeah i i'm i'm, I'm not cheap but it's like i've stayed in so many hotels with pens i just i just keep collecting them and they still work i can't believe that i mean they're always like the bick just the round stick big pens or something like no, that. The, or maybe the funny the part is the, the worst. The, no, no, the worst. The, those, those ones wear out after a while. The Marriott ones are great for a while. Those are the ones you're thinking of. Those, those, but a lot of the cheaper hotels give you those pens with the caps on it. They last forever. Yeah. I just, I hate, I hate that. I, I can't, what, I can't what, lie. What I'm you, a big, I, I, big pen guy. Are you really? Yeah. Big pen guy. I mean, I, I do, I do have a couple of, um, that I carry, uh, of, uh, red felt tip, um, markers for lack of a better term, not, not the big thick ones, but the, the little ones I'll use those to like circle key things to, to kind of stand out on a note sheet or whatever. I don't highlight you a highlighter. You don't highlight no, notes, do you? No, yeah, no, I don't not either. a big notes guy. I'm not an organization I'm not either. guy. Yeah. I'm not either, but it, I, you know, if I'm going through something and something really catches my eye, I'll, I'll circle it with a red, red felt tip pen just so I remember it. Yeah, so I'm a big felt tip pen guy. Um, I think my favorite pen is the the Pilot Precise V7, the like needle tip one. You know, I like the metal tips or the felt tip pens a lot. Um, I will say this: my my father, when he was he was a he was a rabid University of Kentucky basketball fan, and, and I've got score books from him from eons and eons. I was looking at one the other day with a Dan Issel versus Pistol Pete Maravich game in it. For goodness sakes, and he would literally he would have six number two pencils all sharpened to a fine point that he would have with him before every game in case one broke. And he would have them sharp. It was the most incredibly anal retentive thing that any human being could ever do to have his, his, and it had to be six, six number two pencils. Um, they were usually, he worked for American airlines. They were always American airlines labeled pencils, but he had to have those sharpened to a fine point before the tip of every game. Now, who's going who's going to break six pencils in the course of a game? (laughs) Well, maybe him if you come down the stairs at the wrong time and he has to snap one over your forehead. That's a good point. Firing it across the room at you, putting your eye out. I I, here's I'm not as neurotic about like having to have a certain number of them. But I will tell you, I go on Amazon and look for like Chinese, Japanese pens that I get shipped over here and try out. I just like testing them to find like, is that a pen I like? And I can add the rotation and then I'll take a few of those and add it to my rotation for the year. Rick, I don't consider myself cheap, but I ain't spending money on a pen, bro. Yeah. I I, (laughs) like, I've got a pen budget. I would say for the year, every year. 
incredible. A I pen and I legal can't. pad budget. I'd like to bet on the Super Bowl, but I can't because I spent it on my pen budget for the year. <laughs> well, look, I, it's it's just like betting. I mean, you can't go crazy with your no, pen correct. Budget, just like you can't correct. go crazy with your betting budget. You got I'm, I'm with you. You can only I, spend what you can afford on pens, Skinny. Wow, yeah, good call. Or else you got a pen compulsion. You don't want to have a pen compulsion. No, I, the other the other uh, guilty pleasure is occasionally going into a, a Dollar Tree and seeing if you can find like a. Occasionally, a Dollar Tree will have like a really nice pen that they're selling two for a dollar, and. I get three things at the Dollar Tree. I buy my reading glasses at the Dollar Tree. I, I buy a four pack of gum, you know, and when it runs out, I go get another four pack of gum from the Dollar Tree. And the scotch tape, the two, the two rolls of scotch tape for a buck is a great value. How it's often great, are I, you using scotch tape? I use, I use a lot. When I broadcast games, I tape a bunch of stuff down like rosters and stats around where I broadcast. Okay. Well, there you go. Now I know. So. I've got one more question for you, and this one is just coming from me. I don't know if you saw this, but the Big East announced their uh, what should have been a Player of the Year award recently, and uh, it ended up being co-players of the year. Not oh, I, two, I, but three. Well, I saw they ended up having six guys on the, on the first team, right, because they had a tie in the voting. Sure, but more importantly, they had three co-players of the year. Two on the same team, Colin Gillespie and Jeremiah Robinson Earl from Villanova and Sandro Mamukalashvili from, from Seton Hall. Hall. Why? How? What? Skinny well, for starters, what? For starters, hang on. For starters, that would be that would be tri-players of the year. Co would be two. Fair, but the Big East <laughs> tweet says co-players of the year. Okay. All right. I'm just telling you that what they said. Tri-players of the year, but okay. Um, did they vote or did they select? Well, the, the coaches vote and they had a tie clearly. So they just went with all three, but it's like, why, how, why wouldn't you just do something to break the tie? This is honestly unfair to the kids. It is unfair to the guys who just sacrificed all season to go through a COVID (laughs) season for them to not even give out an award like this. No, I think it's great. It's it's more it's 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 everybody gets trophy. So in this case, three guys get the main trophy. I like it. It's I mean, honestly, it's one of the most embarrassing and soft things I've ever seen in my life. I can't believe anyone would sign off on this. Who was like, yeah, that's an okay thing to do. We're good. Give it to all three of them. You put there's two on the same team skinny. You couldn't even separate who was the best player on one team. Uh, for a player not. of the year in the conference? Well, we're we're going to find me? out. We're going to find out because they're going to have to try to win without Connor Gillespie, right? Colin. Colin, Colin Gillespie. Gillespie. <laughs> you, yeah. They're going to have to try to win without him. So we'll see how important he is. I, I mean, I just can't get over three players of the year in one conference. Again, the more unbelievable. The I'm a big the more the merrier guy. No, you're not. You're not at all. That's the thing. I know you're not. I can't believe you're not more fired up about this. I thought you would despise this. Congrats to all three kids. I wish that I honestly, I wish there'd have been more. They should have had eight on the first team. Are you going to write them letters? Yes. Congratulations on your try, your try award. You guys have, it'd be kind of like the Stanley cup. They all get to share it. They all get to have it for like four months of the year. You get the trophy for the first four months. You get it the next ship it on to, to, to Mamish Kavili and he gets it for the last four months. I just, I can't believe it. I on I, I they sent the tweet and I honestly thought it was going to be one of those fake accounts. Fake news? That, yeah, where it, well, it was one of the fake accounts sending out a fake tweet trying to get people to like make fun of them, like they uh, keep doing like McCronin quotes and stuff like that. Marcus Walters, um, did you see that one the other night? I did not. 
Oh, yeah. I won't get into it on here, but look up Marcus Walters, the journalist on Twitter, who has uh, been doing great work uh, faking out the national media. Yikes. Yeah, so that's all I got. Bye. I appreciate it. Good one to end on. Um, We will be back on Sunday with our college basketball podcast after Selection Sunday has been taking place that may not feature any of the teams that we uh, normally talk about. Um, That's going to be disappointing um, for sure, but we'll see. Maybe uh, UC can pull something off. Maybe Kentucky can pull a rabbit out of its hat, and maybe Xavier can get an extra game or two yeah play xavier just just dropped that on twitter looking for for, looking at a variety of options to try to add another or maybe two more q1 or q2 type games so we'll see u of u of l versus xavier travis versus chris winner take all wouldn't that be funny (laughs) all right rick we'll be back on sunday to talk about selection sunday with our friend chad brendel uh for a college basketball podcast for for rick boring i'm richard this has been the skinny podcast the weekly poetry edition